Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. We're going to start a a new season. We're going to start a a new book study. And this time, the book study is going to be in the Gospel of Mark. But first, I want to take a moment, and I want to welcome those that might be listening on our podcast. We started podcasting our messages um, from from Sky Valley Chapel. If you don't know what that is, that's basically I take the message on Sunday evening, I put it on the internet, and then people, no matter where they are, if they have an internet connection, they can download the message and listen to it whenever they want to, wherever they want to. And I want to share with you, with all of you, that over the past five months of summer, we've had an average of 900 downloads per month. Each month, 900 downloads. What's even more amazing is that while the majority of these people are from Canada and the United States, we had people from over 20 other countries that are listening to the podcast. And that's exciting. That's kind of cool. We don't even know who these people are. People in, in Greece, people in the Netherlands, people in Germany, uh, China, Korea, um, South Africa, Zambia, above South Africa. So it's kind of cool. So if you're listening online, we want to welcome you. Now, over the coming weeks, and in fact, it's probably going to go into the next season, we're going to be taking an in-depth look at the Gospel of Mark. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the the Gospels, the the Jesus stories. And as we get started, it's kind of important to step back and make sure that we understand, as it were, the context of Mark. And I want to begin by looking at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Mark starts out this way in verses 1 through 3. It says, The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make a straight path for him. Now I wonder as we dive into into Mark, I wonder if you see anything wrong with this picture. Do you see anything missing with this picture? If this is supposed to be a a, a Jesus story of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the stories of this one called Jesus, what are we missing here? Pardon? The birth. We're missing the Christmas story. I mean, we make a big deal about the Christmas story in our culture, don't we? A way bigger deal than we do about the resurrection, don't we? That's a whole other message there. But we make a a, a big cultural and religious deal about Christmas, and, and here you get... The, the, one of the first, uh, one of the Jesus stories, and it's not a single word about Christmas. You know, who's this John the Baptist guy, and, and why does the Jesus story when, start here in Mark's gospel when Jesus is 30 years old? You know, something's missing when we think about a story of somebody's life. Well, for years, I've collected biographies in general, and over the past six years, I've concentrated on collecting presidential biographies. This is one by Ron Chernow, a very well known presidential biographer. He wrote this one on Washington. He wrote one last year, two years ago, on Ulysses S. Grant. And I've got about 220 volumes on the 45 presidents prior to the current one that have served our country. 
And biographies, you know, we don't want them just to start right when the guy gets elected, do we? I mean, we want to know the background and something about that. And that's what, what we look for whenever we, we have uh, biographies. And, and no, because you're probably sitting there, you're probably going, has he read all 2,220 of those? No, I haven't. Okay, I haven't. What I don't get read will save for when I really retire in, in the future, Lord willing. But we need to step back and we need to understand these Jesus stories and, and what their audience was and what their purpose was and why they are different than what you or I would tend to think of as far as uh, writing the story of someone's life. Because if we don't understand their audience, if we don't understand their purpose, we don't have that lens that we need to look through and we may become very, very confused and more important than that, we might miss the primary message that the author of the Gospels was trying to get across. So take out your life notes. Everybody should have that half sheet of paper. And look at the little section there in which we talk about these four Jesus stories. And there's a couple things that I, that I want to point out from the get-go that, that people miss. The first thing is the stories of Jesus are not biographies. They're not the biographies. We need to understand that, that from the get-go. You know, when, when I read a biography of, of Washington, I kind of expect it to go in, in chronological order and, to, and, and, and to, to tell the story of his youth before it tells the story of, of the end of his life. And that's not necessarily the way the Gospels are, if, if, as we're going to see as we go along here. The other thing we need to understand is that each one of the four Gospels has a unique audience and it has a unique purpose. They were written to accomplish something, not just to inform us with facts. This happened, this happened, this happened. Now, some of them may be more along the lines of what Chernow writes about Washington, but that's not in general how the biographies are. So as we begin today, I'd like to start with just a brief overview of the purpose and the audience of each of these four books that we call Gospels. So we're going to start with the book of Matthew. That's the first one in, in the order in our, in our Bibles. Not necessarily in the order that they were written, you're going to find out. Well, Matthew is written to Jews. And the main purpose was to show that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Matthew was written to Jews to show that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, Matthew was one of the 12 apostles, and so he was an eyewitness of the things that he's writing about. He was obviously Jewish, and, and when he writes to a Jewish audience, he writes to a group of people who know the story of the Jews. They know that they came out of Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons and many sons, yeah, you know, that song, you know, and, and you know, he had 12 sons, and that became the 12 tribes of Israel, and Israel later became, uh, they went into bondage in Egypt, and then in the Exodus, God, through Moses, led them out of bondage in Egypt, through the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness, why? Because they were disobedient, 40 years in the wilderness to the promised land, and God had told Abraham one day, I'm going to give you a land, and your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky or the, or the sand on the, sea, on the seashore. He told him that. So they settled in Canaan, and Joshua led them in to conquer the land. Moses did not get to enter the land because of his disobedience. But they, they continued, the Jews continued to dabble in idolatry, and they failed to follow all that God told them to do. So he says, if, if you want to follow the gods of the other nations, well, I'm going to put you under the thumb of the other, other nations. And first Babylonia, and then after that Assyria came in and conquered the Jews and took them off into captivity. They spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon. And then God brought them back to the land. But even at this point, they continued their disobedience. 
And so when, when Jesus was on the earth and, and when Matthew was writing his gospel, they're under the rule of the Roman government. They're given a sense of religious freedom. They were, they were given special dispensation in the Roman, by the Roman government to, to practice their faith. But, they, were, but they, were, they had their temple, but they were still occupied. They were an occupied nation. And they're looking and looking and waiting for the one that God, through the Old Testament prophets, had promised them would someday come. Messiah, Mashiach in the, in, in the Hebrew. A king from the line of David, the greatest king that they had ever known. Someday, this descendant of David would come and, and set up a kingdom and make all things right. And since he's writing to Jewish people, Matthew wants them to understand that Jesus was this promised Messiah. There had been a long history of, of false messiahs who had, who had stepped forward and, and said, I'm the one, I'm the one, and then ended up being, being killed or, or fell away from the, from the, from the scene. And, and Jesus steps up and says, I'm the one. And he was killed like all the others. But the difference is three days later, he rises from the dead. And his disciples suddenly realize, man, this is the exclamation point. This is proof that he is who he said he was. This is proof that he is our Messiah. Now because of that, because Matthew's doing that, there's something unique in Matthew's book uh, as well that you need to, I want you to write down. And that's this. Matthew is not in chronological order. If you try to make chronological sense out of Matthew's gospel, you, 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 you won't get there. And if you try to do a harmony of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three what we call synoptic gospels, because they're so much alike and, and, and they share stories and stuff and uh, things across, you know, there are books that are published called the harmony of the gospels, and they, you have to cut them and paste them and try to figure out what happened and how this lines up. And they're not, Matthew's not chronological. Matthew combines stories. He combines things that happens, and he, he has a section of teaching. And then he has stories based on a theme, not always in chronological order. And then he has another teaching, and then more stories, and then a parable, and this. And, and, and that's kind of his way of putting his book together. He's grouping things together the way that we might in a book that has a, a theme, according to theme. And Matthew's theme is, Jesus is the Messiah. Well, that's Matthew. What about Mark, the book that we're going to be digging into in the coming weeks and months? Let's take a look at Mark and see his audience and purpose. Mark was written to Romans. He was written to Ro it was written to Romans, and the main point is that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark's audience was primarily people that were living in Rome under the influence of the Roman Empire, very close to Rome, but it wasn't written to all of the Roman Empire, all the non-Jews or Gentiles. We're going to see who, who wrote to them in a minute. And in this Roman region and in Rome, Christians were just beginning to be persecuted. And if you were with us last year, if you can remember back uh, to, to last season, I preached through the, the book of First Peter, and we talked over and over again about that persecution because Peter in his letter was addressing that persecution that was happening. And so Mark talks a little bit more about the cost of discipleship than some of the other apostles do. In fact, there's a couple of stories that are told by Luke and Matthew, and when they tell the story, they don't even mention anything about persecution because it was unimportant to their purpose of what they were trying to convey. But for Mark, writing to Romans who are being persecuted for following Jesus, he includes it and puts it in his gospel. Do you think that the, the Romans were very concerned about the Jewish Messiah? They could, they could care less in general. 
So it's a very different thing that he's saying. He's saying you need to know that Jesus is the son of God, the creator, the God, not your pantheon of, 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 of Roman gods, but he's the son of the God. And in a culture where people claim that the gods, little g, had put in power those who were in power, he's saying one has come along who is the real son of God. And I want you to understand that is what he's saying. Matthew, because he's trying to show Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, has 50 direct quotes and 75 allusions. 50 direct quotes and 75 allusions to the Old Testament. Do the Romans necessarily care about the Old Testament? No. And so Mark only has 19 references to the Old Testament. One of them is right here. We're going to see. We already read part of it. We're going to see even deeper here in, uh, in, in Mark, Matthew, or Mark chapter 1. You see, that's, that's not Mark's point. So the beginning of Mark here. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, Son of God. And then he jumps into the story. He quickly moves to the baptism of Jesus. We're going to look at verses 2 through 8 a few minutes later. And, and, and that work quickly. Uh, write that out on your notes somewhere. Put quickly. There's, there's some words that occur over and over again in, in Mark's gospel. One of them is immediately, which I see as a synonym for quickly. If, if you read through Mark's gospel, which I encourage you to do this week, it'll take you about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Read through it straight through in its entirety in one sitting. Read through it and, and, and circle in your Bibles every time it says immediately or and then. You know, because Mark Mark's gospel is a gospel of action. It's, it's, it's a see Jesus, see Jesus run uh, book, a uh, gospel there. And so he jumps in the story and he says in verse 9, it says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my son. You are God's son. God is speaking. You are my son. Now, in the very end of Mark, Mark's like 16 chapters, and in the next to last chapter, in chapter 15, verse 39, Jesus is on the cross. He'd cried out his last words. Atmospheric things had happened. Earthquake had happened. The gotten dark, and, and Jesus said, it is finished, paid in full. And at that point, Mark tells us of a Roman guard, and literally, it's not just any guard. It's a Roman centurion. It's an officer. It's a guy that's in charge of 100 Roman soldiers. And this Roman centurion, Roman centurion, says, surely this man was the son of God. Surely this man is what? The son of God. So he's writing to Romans, and he's got a Roman authority there saying this man is the son of God. It's like bookends in Mark's gospel. So Matthew, to the Jews, he's the promised Messiah, Mark, to the Romans, he's the Son of God. Next in our Bibles is Luke, the third of the Jesus stories. Luke was written to Gentiles, not those who saw themselves as Romans or lived around Rome necessarily. And, and I tell you, even to this day, even to this day, there's a difference. You know, I've spent a lot of time in Rome. Um, I've led pilgrimages to, to, to Rome, you know, Rome and the Vatican probably six or seven times in, when I was in the military. You have Italians... And then you have Romans. Romans are very proud people. They're Romans. Someone who's from Rome doesn't introduce themselves as an Italian. They introduce themselves as a Roman. And so 
The Gentiles here, though, were the people, even though they might have been part of the Roman Empire, because Rome had conquered so much of the known world at the time, but the Gentiles were those that were spread out all throughout the, in, throughout the empire, and they were the ones that were not Jews. And Luke was not a Jew. Luke was a Gentile. In fact, he's the only Gentile among the authors. He became a Christian, and he joined the Apostle Paul's entourage during the missionary journeys, and he's, he was highly educated. He was trained as a medical doctor, we know, and Luke is somewhat of a, of a historian, so he's more into the, into the check of the facts, as we're going to see here in a minute. In addition to his gospel, what other book does Luke write? The Acts of the Apostles. He wrote the Acts of the Apostles, and Luke Acts comprises 25% of our New Testament. But Luke's point, his main point, is to address Gentiles. And to understand this, we need to remember that even though Rome ruled militarily, philosophically, this, this area of the world was characterized by the Greek mindset, the great power that was right before the Roman. The Greek thinking and Greek philosophy still ruled during the Roman Empire. And I'm sure we're all, all familiar with Greek mythology. I think we probably all had to take it in, in grade school way back when. You know, remember Bullfinch's mythology we probably had to read? And I still get mixed up between the Roman gods and the Greek gods and which one's which and all that stuff. I've been to Rome, like I said, spent many times. I stood in the pantheon there, the temple devoted to their gods. And they had these stories in Greek mythology of the little g gods who would come down to earth and they had these big mythical stories they made about the gods. And Luke is trying to say that this is not a story, a myth, a fable about a God becoming man. This is a documented account of God really becoming a man and living as a man, which by the way is very important theologically to us. We're going to see why in a minute. When Jesus was born, he set aside his divinity. Uh, Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2. The, the, the theological term we use is kenosis, the emptying out, the pouring out of, of his divinity. And his virgin birth is important because he was not a son of Adam. He wasn't carrying, therefore, the, the sin nature, the sin of Adam. The Bible's clear that every single one of us are born with a sin nature. But Jesus was born by the miraculous action of the Holy Spirit, born to a virgin without a sin nature. In fact, he's called in the Bible at one point the second Adam. And where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus succeeds, which is why he can die as our substitute. He could not pay for our sins as our substitute if he hadn't lived a real life as a man in obedience to the Father. And so the virgin birth becomes very, very important for that reason. He's a real man, but born without a sin nature. Just think about it. The, the baby Jesus had to learn how to talk. He had to learn the skills of a carpenter, a, a mason, a builder. You know, he didn't just come out knowing how to, how to you know, use a square and, and, and build things. He didn't go through life with a stacked deck. What he knew, he knew because the Spirit told him. When he had power to do miracles, it was because the Spirit of God informed him and empowered him. Which also, by the way, is why when they came to Jesus and they, and they said that his miracles were of the devil, he said to the Pharisees, you folks are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. He didn't say you're blaspheming the Son of God or the Son of Man. He said you're blaspheming who? The Holy Spirit. Because it was the Holy Spirit who was doing the miracles through Jesus. So Luke is trying to, to help these guys understand this is not a myth. This is real history. So take a look at me at, at Luke as he starts, and we can see this. Uh, 
what he says here, he says, he says, many, he says, many. In other words, in other words, what he's saying here is there there have been other people that have written accounts of Jesus before mine. So that tells you right there that Luke wasn't the first of the gospels. Many have undertaken to under, or to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, you know, I think, I think of Sergeant Joe Friday, you know, just the facts, just the facts, ma'am. I've investigated everything from the beginning. It seemed good also to me to write a what? An orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And the Greek translation of Theophilus basically means lover of God. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. See how careful Luke is here with his words? I carefully investigated everything from the what? From the beginning. So he starts out like Matthew did with some of the Christmas story. In fact, he gives more of the Christmas story than Matthew did. Because he's chronological, he starts out from the chronological beginning. And so we have more of the Christmas story in Luke that we don't have in Mark. And then, and then he says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. And here's the reason, he says, so that, so that you may know the certainty, so that, so that you may know that this is real, so that you may know that this is history. This is what really happened And by the way, remember he's the only Gentile writer. He's writing to Gentiles, to non-Jews, and and try to tell them that Jesus was a a, a man or a a real man, God born as a man, not a myth, but he's also the Messiah, son of God. And this is why Luke makes more mention than anybody else, any of the other gospel writers, about the humanity of Jesus. He also has another emphasis if if you study Luke's gospel. He has an emphasis that Jesus came for all people. Remember the story when the, when the angels came to the shepherds? They said, I bring you good, great tidings of great joy for whom? Which shall be for all people. They didn't say, hey, the Jewish Messiah is here. You guys, you know, it's the fulfillment of your prophecy. No, this is for all people. Later on in Luke's gospel, he gives the story of Simeon in the temple when Jesus was dedicated there in the temple. And Simeon talks about, and he, and he quotes from Isaiah's about how the Messiah was going to come and be a light for all nations, all the Gentiles. And so Luke includes that because he's saying, this guy came for all of us, not just for the Jews. So we've got Matthew, we've got Mark, we've looked at Luke, now let's look at John, the last of the four Gospels. John was written to Jews and Gentiles. It was written to Jesus' followers, okay, to help them understand more philosophically about the things that Jesus taught and what he's doing. It's centered around these signs that John uh, drew out were the great I am statements, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection, that kind of thing. This was written by one of the apostles, John. So oftentimes he's called John the Beloved, as we'll explain in just a second, because he's not just any one of the apostles. John was Jesus's closest friend. Jesus had lots of disciples, lots of people that, that followed him. You, you can see if you, if you read, read there. And then he had the, the, he had, there was a 70 that he'd sent out. He had the 12, the 12 apostles, uh, as he called them. And in that inner circle of 12, there were the three, the three that were really, really inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And there's certain stories that are told in the Bible. There's certain accounts where Jesus and just the three of them would go away for something 
Like when they went to raise up the, the, young, the young girl or other points where Jesus just took the three of them when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, among these three, Peter, James, and John, John, by his own description, was Jesus' best friend. He's called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And if you think about it, what does the Gospels tell us? What happened when Jesus was arrested? What did the guys do? They split. But who do you see at the foot of the cross? John. John is there. Who does Jesus entrust his mother to? John. That's why I say they're the best friends there, Jesus' best friend of the apostles. Now, what's interesting about the Gospel of John is that Jesus' life on earth was 33-plus years. His public ministry was about three and a half years. But John only covers 30 days of that time. He only covers 30 days of that time because he has a, a, a completely different purpose. He's trying to point out and underscore that Jesus was God. He was the creator of the universe who became a man for a period of time and still controls and still rules this universe. That's John's main idea, is Jesus' control as, as the master of the universe. Look at John chapter 1, verse 1 with me. In the beginning, we're familiar with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can't get any more clear than that. This Word, this one that, 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 God is, or that John is talking about, it, it embodies this one that he's going to be telling about here was God. He goes on to say that there wasn't anything made that was made without him. He was the agent of creation there way back in, in Genesis chapter chapter 1. And then if you go all the way to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, why? They are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And the Christ is just a, it's a Greek word, uh, it's the Greek word for Messiah. Christos is the actual Greek. Mashiach, as I said, is, is the Hebrew. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John's telling you right there, when I pick up a new book to read, I oftentimes look at that, because a good author, whenever they write the preface to their book or somewhere in the first chapter, they're going to tell you why they wrote the book. You know, I want the author to write, know why they're writing the book. You know, I don't want to read a book that the author has no idea why he or she is writing it. And John is telling you here, here's why I wrote this. So there you have it. They're not biographies, and each one has a purpose. Each one has an audience. Now let's look again at, at, at Mark beginning at chapter 1. Yeah, all that was kind of introduction, okay? And don't worry, we'll be out here in a few minutes. Maybe, we're about halfway done. Let's look again, again at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And as we do so, may I remind you that chapters and verse numbers weren't in the original text. Mark didn't sit down and say, okay, chapter 1. Current authors of novels and stuff might do that, but Mark didn't do that. Chapters didn't come around until about the 13th century. 13th century, you know, 1200s. And then the, the verses didn't come around until the 16th century. And it's because they figured out that it'd be easier to reference, it'd be easier to direct people to a place in, in Scripture if we had these chapter and verse numbers. Now, again, as I said, the Gospels are meant to be read in their entirety. So I encourage you, once again, Read through the entire Gospel of Mark sometime this week, and it'll pay off in dividends as we, as we study through it. In fact, you might want to 
pray about it and commit to reading it each week through at least one time. If you really want extra credit, you can read through it every day. I don't know. It's up to you. between you and the Lord. So I encourage you to do that. Well, Mark, according to almost every theologian, every biblical scholar, is the first of the Jesus stories that were written. He was the first, his was the first gospel that was written after the resurrection of Jesus. So we are about to read the very first line that was penned in ink on papyrus about Jesus when one of the followers sat down to do it. And in Mark chapter one, verse one, it says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. I want you to stop for a minute. I want you to, I want you to catch that. This is the first sentence written in history of the followers to explain, let me tell you who this guy is. Let me tell you who this guy is. You know, where do you start the Jesus story? It's the title of the message today. Where do you start? Where do you begin? And Mark's not going back to a manger scene. He's not going back to the Old Testament prophets or the Old Testament priests or the Old Testament kings. He's not picking up one of the Psalms or one of the great prophets like Isaiah or, or Jeremiah who hundreds of years before said, hey, this is the one that's coming. He starts with the most all-encompassing, all-consuming sentence in history. Let me tell the Jesus story this way. This is the beginning of good news. How many of us need good news? You know, don't you like good news? This is the beginning of good news. This isn't the beginning of Jesus. Jesus existed before this, but this is the beginning of good news. This is the beginning of Messiah. Messiah was prophesied long before. But this is the first sentence written in history, and he says this is the beginning of good news. This is where everything changes for the world. This is just the beginning of good news. Oh, it's found in, it's, it's, it's about Jesus, the Son of God. But this is the beginning of the understanding of everything being radically changed and so completely that you can always point back to that was it, that was when. He goes, let me sum up real quickly that this is the guy that fulfilled the Old Testament. All the pages before this, he says, let me do it by just quoting a prophet, the prophet Isaiah. It is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him. So in verse four, he continues on. And he says, and so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt about his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, that's probably the only way you should eat locusts, is, you know, lots of honey. They didn't have hot sauce, so that's what I probably prefer, hot sauce or ketchup back then, but locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So you have that first sentence, here's the beginning of good news, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and then he starts talking about this guy that wears camel skin and a belt to sentient and, and eating locusts and, and wild honey. Have you ever petted a camel? 
You know, I rode a camel in Israel years and years ago, and, and I can tell you, they're not very soft, cuddly creatures, okay? I can't imagine wearing uh, a clothes made out of camel skin. It's got to be itchy and, and scratchy, and you probably don't want to put your arms down because it's just probably not going to be very comfortable. And uh, this is a guy that, that doesn't care about his looks. He's not trying to make it to the front, uh, front cover of GQ magazine. He wasn't a guy that was out to impress the, the, the crowd. In fact, his entire talk was simply, I'm here to point to someone who's more important than I am, someone whose sandals I'm not even worthy to boot, bend down and untie. And three questions have to be asked in reading these verses. The first is, what is the good news? What is this thing that, that Mark's talking about, this, this good news? Now, in the Greek, it's, it's euangelion. U, E-U is, is the prefix, which means good. Angelion means message, so it's good news, good message. I'm going to share something with you that please don't ever use it. My middle name is Eugene, okay? I don't like my middle name, but for illustration purposes, Eugene, good birth. E-U, good, Gina, birth. So, there you go. Now forget you know that. Okay, never call me Eugene. But euangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a church word, this gospel word that we use, but basically good news and gospel and euangelion, they're all, they're all the same. They're, it, it's synonymous there. The good news is not a what necessarily. The good news is a who, and more importantly, a why. So going back to that verse, beginning of the good news about whom? Jesus Christ, Son of God. And I broke this down in your life notes there. Jesus, the good news is about a real person. The good news is about a real person. We're going to be studying a real person, a historical figure. There are more books written about Jesus than any other figure in the entire history of the world. There's more songs, more poems, more paintings, more quotes than any other historical figure. No one in the right mind doubts the existence that there was a Jesus of Nazareth. There's more written about him, recorded about him, quoted, painted, written, sung than any other person in history. And there's no doubt that someone named Jesus walked the streets of first century Palestine and the surrounding area. But who was he? Well, that's the good news. There's a real person, a historical figure named Jesus because Mark jumps right to it because he is the Christ. He's the Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? Although some people kind of use it that way. Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. Christ, as I said before, it's Greek. It's Christos. It's a title. The, the Christ is, is the way it should uh, really be translated. Jesus, the Christ. And Christ in the Greek is the equivalent, as I've said, to the Hebrew Messiah in English or Mashiach in, in, in Hebrew. He's the Savior. He's the one that we've waited for. The good news is that we have a Savior. And Mark jumps right in. Here's the good news when you understand all that this Jesus is, that, that, that is the, he's still the central figure of humanity, is this Savior. This was an invasion on earth by God himself, an, a total assault on evil, because you and I needed to be rescued. You and I needed to be saved. You and I needed to be redeemed. You and I needed chains to be broken. We needed to come back to our vision we need to come back to our purpose. We need to come to understand what we are made for. We need to live life 
out of life, not out of fear of death, because the Savior took it for you and me. You see, the good news is that God came to us when we couldn't get to him. And today you still have people trying and striving, working and toiling to become good enough. Give it up. There's not a single one of us that can ever be good enough for God. None of us. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us have have fallen short of the glory that God has for us. And so we all need a Savior. And every page of Mark's good news is going to push this point. He's going to claim to be God by what he does over the the physical and the, the tangible things on earth. He's going to claim to be God by what he does over the spiritual, over the emotional, and all the relational. He's going to claim to be God on every single page of Mark's gospel. Mark sets it up in the first sentence. He's going to launch it. He is the Son of God. And by the way, Isaiah, representing all the Old Testament, screams out, he's going to come, and this is him. Every sentence that trickles down, Christ is not going to keep his mouth shut. He's going to tell people who he is and where he came from. He came to serve God the Father. If you read through this book, it'll leave you at the end of the book struggling on how to either get him out of your life or how to get your life out of you so that you can have life in him. There's no middle ground when you read, honestly read this book in its entirety. This is good news. A historical figure came to be our savior because God himself came to earth, which begs question number two. How do I get this good news? How do I get this good news? Well, I'm glad you asked. I love the way that Mark streamlines this. As I said, Mark is kind of the, remember those primers that we used to have in grade school, you know, see Dick, see Dick, run. Mark is kind of the, you know, see Jesus, see Jesus, run gospel. It's short, it's to the point. He keeps moving. You shouldn't fall asleep reading, reading Mark's gospel. You might fall asleep trying to wade your way through John as he goes through all these, these long philosophical discussions, but, but Mark, you shouldn't fall asleep. And to do this, though, I want to look first here at Luke chapter 3 where Luke gives us some, uh, some, some elucidation, some, some uh, deeper thing about this stuff that John the Baptist was teaching. Luke, as we said, started his, his books by saying, hey, I went back and I investigated this and I talked to eyewitness. And so because of that, Luke writes a whole lot more than, than Mark abbreviates. Luke chapter three, beginning of verse seven. He says, let me tell you what John's message was. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, that's not exactly what we call today being seeker-sensitive, okay? This is how John starts his message. He's out there in his camel skin and his belt and his little bag of locusts with with honey on him, and and all these people are coming out from Jerusalem to hear him, and and he says, hey, you bunch of snakes, you're slithering away from the city. Who warned you that you're about to be doomed? Wow. This guy makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. I want to invite my friends out to hear him. That's how he starts his message. Probably no formal schooling. No one sat down and said, now, John, what you need to do is you need to warm up the crowd. You need to tell a joke, a story, you know, that, whether it's tied to the message or not. And, you know, you need to you know, just kind of get them ready for it. You need to welcome them. You need to have coffee and donuts there for them. You need to make sure the temperature isn't too hot or too cold because you're going to have people on both ends that are going to complain no matter what temperature you set it at. Not this guy. He says, you're snakes slithering away from the city. And people say, wow, my friend needs to hear this. And watch where John goes with this. 
He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, you think John probably heard this from these people before, huh? Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. You group of snakes slithering out of here. Why don't you get your life straightened out so that it actually reflects you calling yourself as a child of God? Why do you call yourself a child of God? Because you're a Jew? <laughs> God can make Jews out of these rocks. You're about to be cut down. But the mysterious thing is this worked. This worked. The people came in droves out to the Judean countryside to listen to John. They must have really known that they were messed up. Why do you call yourself a Christian? Because of how you grew up? Because of what you believe? Because of the family you're in? You know, God could put a, a rock in that family. In fact, your, your family may have a pet rock, but is it a Christian? Where's the welcome? Where's the good to see you folks here today? And yet it works. And so the crowd starts asking in verse 10, what are we supposed to do? In verse 10, he says, what should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers, note this, soldiers, these aren't Jews. These are Roman soldiers came and said, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money. Don't take bribes. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And then on in verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. I know it says Christ, but they're thinking Messiah because they're Jews. Okay. That John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but it's not me. One is coming more powerful than me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached what? The euangelion, the good news to them. So back to Mark. Mark says John came. He came simply preparing the way for God. Luke says, tell, let me tell you his message. Buckle up. You know, it didn't have very many downloads, but there were a lot of comments written there online. He says, you call yourself a Christian because of where you've come from, the family you grew up in, what you think you know. Then why does your life show it? on a daily basis? If you've been radically rescued by the Son of God, why hasn't it changed the way that you do business? Why doesn't it change your generosity and, and how you share? Why doesn't it change how you treat others? Why doesn't it change how you talk about others? You call yourself a Christian because of the family you come from? God could put rocks in that family and make them a child of God. And so they ask, what do we need to do? And John says, you've got to come into contact with Christ and let your life be radically changed. It's not good works. We don't have to make our life better in order to be saved. If we get saved, our life will be better. 
He said the fruit will show what's really going on inside. You may know a lot of facts. You may know a lot of Sunday school stories about this Jesus, but has it made a difference in your life? Mark writes, this is good news. A historical figure that is a savior because God came to earth, and yet both Mark and Luke recount John's message, prepare the way of the Lord, and see this good news comes through repentance and confession. Repentance and confession. You say, well, what's the difference what's here between the two? There's not a whole lot of difference between these two. You know, confessing is basically agreeing with God that, hey, I've, I've sinned against you, God. I'm not perfect, and I can, never can be perfect in my, own, in my own righteousness. And repentance is basically, it's a word that basically means doing an about face, doing a to the rear mark for you military guys, going the other way and not looking back. No turning back. Both Mark and Luke and Matthew and John, all the New Testament will scream to us, this good news is not something that we get to add to our lives. This is something that we have to give our lives up for. This Christianity is not something that you add to your life to make sure that you're, you're covered, like buying fire insurance or earthquake insurance. It's something that will demand your entire life for Jesus. If you claim a title with no testimony, you need to read the book. The last question, these first eight verses simply scream out is this. When did my good news begin? When did your good news begin? When did your life change? I'm not asking about when you started going to Sunday school and how many perfect attendance uh, pins you might have. I'm not asking when you, because someone scared the hell into you, they scared the hell out of you, and you walked down a, down a sawdust trail in some tent or at camp or something like that. But when did your life change? God is great, and we are not, and thus we all need a Savior. There's no exceptions. The Gospels call people to make a decision about this historical figure, this, this God who came in the flesh. Is he your Savior and Lord? Or is he just some historical figure that you admire? No one's left in the middle ground because there will be no middle ground. And he will ask of you your all. He doesn't he don't want just a part of you. He wants your all. And the power of the story is that God invaded earth for you and me. In our unworthiness, he has found us worthy of the highest payment of the greatest torture imaginable to redeem us, not to tell us how to get along, not to tell us how to, how to be loving. That comes, that comes through knowing Jesus. There's examples of that, but this is an invasion to rescue us from, our, rescue us from ourselves. And when you come to grips of why you need rescue and what he did, all that's left to say is, here I am. I'm yours, Lord. And this is good news. You will be inhabited by the Holy Spirit. You've been inhabited by the risen Savior, the creator of the universe, and find new purpose. That's good news. And that's a great place to start. Have you ever received some good news? What did you do? Could you not wait to tell someone else about it? That's what this song's talking about. 
the good news going forward. And you know how that happens? Through you and through me. Because there's people in Sky Valley, people at Caliente, people that live other places listening to this podcast that are around the folks that hear this word and they don't know Jesus. So find a winsome way to share that good news this week. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we study the book of Mark and you take us on this journey, may you open our hearts and our minds to who you are. Peel away maybe some of the the Sunday school Jesus that we've grown too familiar with and too accustomed to, and may, may you allow us over the next few months to grow deeper in our relationship with you. Wherever we are, may the good news take a great turn in our lives and change us from the inside out. And may we share this good news with others around us. May we become the workshop for whatever work you need to do in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed week. joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mole and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.